Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations with drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, episode number seven. Got a great show for you today, uh, but before we get to that, I want to remind everybody uh, our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. You can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com, and our email address is thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Now, the reason I give you the email address last today, I actually have a question for all of you, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. When I picked up my copy of Modern Drummer Magazine, uh, the April edition, uh, the editorial in there really caught my attention, and I'm curious what you guys uh, think about the subject in there. Adam uh, Badofsky, uh, who is one of the editors at Modern Drummer, was talking about uh, a conversation he had with Bill Bruford, who, if you're a drummer, you know who Bill Bruford is. Um, but the the conversation that those two had was about language used to describe drummers. Um, and Bill Bruford took an opinion um, and, and was saying to to Adam over at Modern Drummer that they shouldn't use words like bash or slam as verbs to describe drummers. So my question to, to all of you, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, and I will share your thoughts on next week's episode of the Drum Shuffle. Is it okay to say that he or she is a basher or a slammer? Uh, is it okay for us as drummers to tell drummer jokes? Because look, we we all know all of those. Um, you know, I tell them. Is it okay? Does it further a stereotype or a bias against drummers amongst musicians to use terms like that? Uh, Certainly, you could see it on that side. Um, You know, I don't know. But I would love to hear your thoughts. So email us at thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com your thoughts on that subject, and uh, we will share your thoughts on next week's episode. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may be the best-kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest-hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. Today's guest on the Drum Shuffle is seriously one of the nicest guys in the drum business. Really cool fella, uh, just super knowledgeable about drums drumming and drummers. Uh, We are going to have a great conversation today with Josh Touchton of Natal Drums. Josh is the Natal Drums brand manager here in the United States. 
Uh, he's going to tell you all about Natal drums. But what's really cool uh, about Josh is he is a certified um, vintage drum collector. And I know that we are going to completely geek out and talk about some of his drums. He's got one drum in particular in his collection that uh, that yours truly covets uh, deeply. Uh, and, and I will ask him about that uh, in our conversation. So without further ado, I want to welcome Josh Touchton from Natal Drums to the Drum Shuffle. Hey, Josh, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, it's our pleasure. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come on the Drum Shuffle. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed all the episodes so far, and I'm looking forward to absolutely ruining this one. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have to worry about that, but you know what? If you ruin it, it will be a beautiful mess. How's that? We'll, we'll, Perfect. We'll go with the Perfect. Bob Ross. There, there that are is no the mis- title of my memoir, A Beautiful <laughs> Mess. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the Bob Ross. There are no mistakes, uh, only, <laughs> only happy accidents. Yes. Yes, sir. Awesome. So, um, Josh... You know, we do this with everybody. We want to know, how did you get into drums and drumming? You know, where are you from? All that good stuff. Give us a little bit of your background. I uh, I grew up in uh, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, just north in a, a town called Marietta. And um, <clears throat> just um, sports, sports, sports all around me. And um, I, I played soccer for a little bit. And, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really good at all. I, I really wasn't. In fact, I played soccer all the way through high school and ended up messing my knees up. And, and, uh, just, I, I wasn't really a sports guy. My father, who is amazing at, at just about everything he touches, um, you know, scholarships for basketball and, and, you know, just a, a great sportsman. I'm, and I'm sure he was just so disappointed to have this kid that, you know, <laughs> could not throw a ball left or right handed. And, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I just went into music way early on. I had, uh, my, my two older cousins, uh, Sean and Kim, uh, were, uh, my, my idols when I was a little kid. And I, I remember, being about six years old and they had come down from North Carolina to, to Atlanta to see us for Thanksgiving or something. We had the TV on and, and I don't know if it was 2020, um, you know, how these stories get, you know, get retold in your mind and, and sure. pretty soon, you know, pretty soon it's not even what the original story was, but I remember seeing David Bowie and um, I just remember thinking that's, that's really cool. I, I really <laughs> love David Bowie. I love, and I just love music. I, I attached myself to anything I could listen to real early. And my father, um, my father was a, uh, a, a fan of Roy Orbison and Glenn Campbell. And, uh, and I remember hearing, um, I remember hearing things like, uh, Eddie Cochran and my dad was a, was a huge Gene Vincent fan. So there was a lot of rockabilly kind of coming in, um, when I was a kid, uh, rockabilly and not, not a lot of, early country, but you know, a lot of rockabilly and 57 and stuff. And that has stuck with me my entire life. But I, uh, at one point we moved from one part of town to another, uh, to the older part of Marietta, Georgia. And, um, we had neighbors up the street that were a few years older than us. And there was a, there was a girl, probably my first crush, but, uh, there was, there was a girl named Lynn that lived up the street who came and babysat for us. And, uh, I would have been seven or eight and she would have been, she probably would have been 15 or so. 
And she turned me on to so much music. I remember um, when I was a little bit older, I would have been about 11, I guess, when um, Moving Pictures came out. And that was a huge deal. But, you know, hearing Rush for the first time, and, and I'm not a massive Rush fan. I, I love Rush, but I'm not like, you know, following every tour or anything. But, you know, that was a big deal was getting Moving Pictures, getting a copy of that and getting a copy of, um, oh, what was it? I think Sticks, Grand Illusion and Pieces of Eight. Those were a couple of the first albums that I owned. So um, I think that was John Pinozo. Is that right? I know I John that... and Chuck Pinozo were the drummer and bass player, but that was a big deal to me. And um, But the thing that really kind of hit me was all the music coming out of Athens, Georgia. Oh, wow. And, you know, yeah. B-52s and Pylon and, and of course, R.E.M. And um, uh, Love Tractor, I think, was a was a Athens band. But um, I, I remember hearing all that stuff. And then when I got to be about 14, hearing Let's Active and Flat Duo Jets and just a lot of stuff that was kind of Southern, Southern, not Southern rock. You can't call it Southern rock, but almost like Southern indie punk. Yeah. And um, and then the whole punk thing just I just got enveloped in that. And it, it wasn't so much, you know, the, the hardcore punk, um, not even like Dead Kennedys or, you know, or bands like that, but bands like X and bands like The Eyes and and, um, and the Blasters, who were really just a great Americana band. But, um, you know, listening to um, Husker Du, I, I was a big Grant Grant Hart fan. God, God rest him. And, uh, you know, a fan of the Minutemen. So George Hurley. And I, I had a, a friend that that snuck me into, I want to say 688 in Atlanta in about 1983 or 1984 when I was 13 or 14. And then uh, I got to see the Minutemen play for probably 15 minutes, which was like 30 songs, you know, for the Minutemen to play. <laughs> right. And I, right. I think they threw me out. But I remember seeing George Hurley and going, that's what I want to do. And then the same girl who had turned me on to Rush and Sticks and, and all the Athens band uh, bands turned me on to X. And so by about 10 or 11 years old, X was my Beatles and DJ Bonebreak was my was my Ringo. And uh, I, I'm super, super fortunate that DJ's turned into one of my really great friends. And he's one of one of the artists that plays Natal drums. So it's um, yeah, it's it's a cool thing. I, you know. As far as playing, I always would play with whoever I could and, you know, play in school, play with friends outside of school. And and uh, but I was a lot more interested, probably because I wasn't that great of a drummer. I was uh, I was really interested in the technical side of things. And, and I remember getting my first drum kit at about probably 15. I had, I had been playing on friends drum kits and my cousin's friend had a drum kit in his basement. And I I go play on that. And they would go, hey, he's not bad. You know, he's okay. And unfortunately, I never got past the, hey, he's not bad level. But, you know, um, <laughs> I, I would go play on that drum set and saved up money. I, I worked at a, I worked at a, um, a factory outlet selling underwear and, and socks and things like that. And uh, in the town that I lived in, saved up some money. And my, my, my dad, who's still my biggest hero, um, my dad said, look, you know, if you want a drum kit, you can get it for your birthday. And I got to buy drums for my birthday. They didn't give me drums. I got to have them. And it kind of put me on this path of, you know, you got to earn it. Yeah, You have sure. to earn it, which, you know, at, at the time you're like, but I want a drum kit, you know, but well, great. You want a drum kit, earn it. And, uh, and it was a great lesson. 
absolutely a fantastic lesson because I've, I've tried to earn everything from, from there on out. And, and, you know, they'd buy heads and sticks and symbols for me, you know, later on. But the initial purchase was all mine. And um, I, I had a uh, I had a Pearl International. And um, I, I don't know where they made it. I'm sure it was it was the lowest of the low for, you know, for Pearl. Um, but I love that kit. In fact, I, I know where it is. Um, I just, I just don't know how to get in touch with the guy, but I'd love to buy it and have it back. It was, uh, it was really, it was a great kit to start off on, but yeah. you know, all that stuff, you know, the first thing I did was to bring it home and start playing to every clash record I could find. And, um, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of both of the clash drummers, you know, Topper Heaton and Terry Chimes and, and Topper's actually playing the town now, which is very cool for me. I've not, I've not met him yet. They keep threatening every time I go to England that, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get together and you're going to get to meet Topper. And, and that would be just, you know, and of course, when I meet him, I'll be a smart aleck and say something like, Hey, didn't you play piano on the, you know, <laughs> on the, cause he did. Yeah. So, uh, but, um, yeah, I just, um, I just really connected with punk music and, uh, connected with rockabilly and, um, I'm still, uh, you know, at, at, 40 coming up on 48 years old i'm still very much in love with that music it just meant so much to me and there was a, there was an honesty about it that i i go back to that now and and i i'm not a huge fan of things i'm hearing on the radio uh, a lot of the time and and just to try to find that piece i go back to, to try to find peace i go back and listen to punk yeah absolutely so, yeah you I know mean, we we all have our you know our given genre, you know, I mean, for sure for me, you know, I was growing up with, you know, what people refer to colloquially now as hair metal, you know, I mean, that yeah, was, that sure. was the big thing when, when I was in my formative years as a player and, you know, I, I can still turn on, you know, hair nation on, on the satellite radio and just dork out for an hour and a half, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? There were a lot of bands that kind of that kind of veered off from what they were originally doing to go hair metal, which, you know, a lot of the bands do. A lot of bands turn and try to run the other way when something's really happening. And there were some really good hair metal bands. There really were. I mean, you know, technically the guys were great and it was a lot of fun. In fact, I don't know. This is really going to take away my man card. But, um, you know, Nelson and uh never everybody may groan when you know when you hear nelson but the fact is hey man bobby rock yeah they I could know, right? and, and bobby rock was their drummer on on that record and you know i mean i don't care who you are if you don't know who that is go do a quick youtube oh, yeah. search because that guy is a monster player yeah and you know the great thing about that too is if you didn't like the album and you saw the band you would never go up and tell them cuz bobby rock was like big as a house yeah. And I mean, his, his, his neck was as, you know, as thick as my leg. He was, just, he worked out nonstop, but the, you know, the crazy thing about Nelson is the harmonies were still there. And of course, with my, my history of, of the music that I loved, I, I, my, my aunt Janice, uh, was a huge Rick Nelson fan. And so I heard a lot of Rick, you know, Ricky Nelson growing up when I hang out with my aunt and, um, and Gunnar and Matthew being his boys, they inherited a lot of that. And before this is where we do all the geek stuff before um, they were Nelson. They were the Nelsons. And um, it, it may be one of the only episodes of Saturday Night Live you can't find online, but they they played. They were the first unsigned band to play on Saturday Night Live. And it was a rockabilly band. And they wow. were amazing. They did two songs. One of them was Rick Nelson's. Um, uh, do you know what I mean? And they nailed it. And I think, I think Gunner was playing drums and Matthew was playing bass and they were both singing. 
And it was, it was tremendous. It was so good. And I can't find it. That's like the, my biggest, you know, everybody's looking for that, you know, that one grainy John Coltrane video, you know, where, 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 you know, you've got, you know, you've got some secret drummer playing on, I want to find the Nelsons on Saturday Night Live and I can't find it anywhere. It's insane. We will put out the call right now, guys. Absolutely. If you know where that is, please email me at the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. I will make sure Josh gets a copy. (laughs) That would be great. That would be awesome. But, you know, ultimately I realized that I was really into the technical side of, of, of building drums, putting things together. And one of the things that my dad did, uh, he, he had me bring all my drums out to the barn and he goes, I want you to, we had a, we lived in Marietta, Georgia, had a barn and we go out and, uh, he said, I want you to take everything apart, like lugs, take everything off, put it back together, figure out how it works. And, um, you know, and he was out there too, and kind of handed me, you know, tools, always carry this, always carry this. And the, the best tool other than, you know, a screwdriver or a ratchet set was to carry Teflon tape. And, you know, the, the same, you know, plumber's tape. And so if you had anything strip out, you could almost rethread it for the night by putting Teflon tape on and it would hold a while. And albeit that wasn't the best tool that I ever had. And, and I've got, you know, at this point, now that I'm, you know, a million years old, you know, I've got maybe five, six stick bags and everyone have, you know, a couple of rolls of, of <laughs> Teflon tape in them. It was a great lesson, man. Yeah, it's amazing the the little tricks and and tips that you pick up being, you know, a, a working drummer. Um and that stuff just stays with you for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um so you said you got your first kit when you were 15, so it sounds like you might have been a little bit of a late bloomer, you know. I I think I started playing I was, you know, 12, 13, something like that and you know, I can get online and find, you know, eight year old kids that can outplay <laughs> me today. You know, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it goes without saying. Yeah. Um, so did you have formal training? You you did mention school. Were you in, you know, marching band, anything like that? No, I never did. I, I, <clears throat> I, w- I didn't have the chops to do it. And, um, Kenny Stanton, who owns Ken Stanton Music um, in, in Atlanta, uh, I've known Kenny since I was about eight years old. And I, I really did start playing drums whenever I could when I was eight. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I, I didn't get a kit till I was 15. And, um, you know, I remember talking to Kenny going, you know, why didn't I take lessons? And he goes, man, we really didn't push lessons that hard for, for drummers. And you could take private lessons with people around the town that I lived in, but you really couldn't couldn't go to a store and take lessons necessarily. Yeah. And uh, so I just I just never took it. And you know that's on me. I wish I had taken I had taken lessons. I, I'm so happy to see kids that have done extremely well and have gotten out there. And technically, they're really amazing drummers. The and I and I don't think this takes away from the ability to be able to to feel or to groove or whatever you want to call it. But there, there is something about, there is something about feel that I don't think can be taught. And, you know, I don't think it's an either you've got it or you don't. I think it, you know, depending on the people you play with. And I think, I think like the the bass player and drummer relationship is the most vital in any band. I really do. And um, I've been very fortunate to play with some amazing bass players that were good groove players, whether it was punk stuff or whether it was, um, I, I played the band in Nashville for, um, about five years. Uh, when we moved to Nashville, my wife and I moved to Nashville from Atlanta. And, um, the guy that I played with was 
was basically a swamp boogie bass player and uh, really heavily influenced by by the band and and um you know different different drummers i'm sorry different bass players like that and it was really great for me to go back and i, I grew up loving levon helm and and to this day he's, he's one of my favorite drummers but i really didn't get heavily into what levon was doing until i started playing with this bass player and so that was like a really good learning curve for me it was like okay how do i do that oh i need to i basically need to match what he's doing and yeah. um and that was good so but back to your question about formal training i think i've had three lessons in my entire life i when i was 17 my folks got me a lesson with kenny aronoff oh and, wow yeah, that's uh, yeah that was that's a pretty good way to great. start with your lessons it was, <laughs> but we were we were at atlanta pro percussion which is the the shop i grew up in and and i i hate it now that they they closed in december of uh of 2017 which uh that was my that was my playground and, yeah. and it's really really uh, very emotional to talk about the fact that that Ed Shop isn't there because I I went there, you know, every weekend when I was, you know, when I was a kid and without question, I would go. And um, just a, a very important person in my life was was Ed McGruder or Ed McGruder. Well, Ed McGruder. Yes. But um, um, Ed Hamrick and Ed McGruder used to work there as well. Two guys that really were influential, you know, on me having access to to gear and vintage gear and and everything else, you know. Um, but uh, I, I did get to take this lesson with Kenny Aronoff, and I think we ended up talking about I had a I had a '65 Mustang at the time, and I think Kenny and I basically ended up working on my right foot, trying to get doubles, you know, out of my right foot, and then talking about my car. So that oh, was pretty much it. Yeah, well, it was great. It was really cool. But yeah, two other lessons I got a lesson um, uh, when I worked for Mapex Drums uh, and Slingerland Drums. Uh, um, I would go out with Greg Bissonette, and I would be his clinic tech, and I did that for about seven years. And and Greg and I are still really close. And he's just anybody that's ever met him knows what a great guy he is. And anybody who's ever met him will tell you he's my best friend. You just you just feel right. like that as soon as you meet him. But um, oddly enough, the third lesson was Greg's dad. And, uh, Bud Bissonette was a, was a, um, a jazz and swing drummer and one of my favorite people ever on the planet. And, um, Bud gave me a brush lesson. Didn't he work as Greg's tech for years? He was Greg's tech for a long time. And, um, he was, he was just so great. I mean, it drums would be in the, in the back of his, you know, of his Explorer or, or in the trunk of his wife's car. And Bud was fantastic and everybody knew him. He was as big a character at Nam for years and years and years as Greg was. So yeah, he was kind of the main attraction. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he was, he was, he was awesome. And, and uh, unfortunately he passed away about probably nine years ago. And, um, he just was such, such a good guy, but I got a brush lesson from him, which was just so cool. And, uh, and, and, you know, I wish I had had more, more time with him for sure, but I wish I definitely had more brush lessons because I'm, I, uh, I can fake it pretty well on brushes, but, uh, if you really look at what I'm doing, you'll see that I'm faking the whole thing. You, so. you and me both brother, <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. That's kind of where it is. No doubt about it. Well, so I, you know, and I want to make sure that I, that I get this in. Okay. You mentioned vintage gear, uh, just a little snippet of it. And I want to tell our listeners, um, our guest here today, Josh has quite the vintage drum collection. So, you know, let's geek out for just a minute and, and talk about, you know, some of the stuff that you have hanging around. Yeah. Well, um, 
There, there's I, there's said, one particular I, floor tom that I have in mind, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I've heard this story and and yeah, I, I <laughs> you know I've already put dibs on it. If it ever parts with your company, I'm first in line, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll get to it. I I I started playing vintage drums um, really when I was late high school, early college. But the thing is. They were never called vintage drums then. They were called used, <laughs> right. and you could get you could get a '64 Champagne Sparkle Ludwig for. And by the way, somebody out there listening is freaking out. They never made a Champagne Sparkle in '64. You know, somebody's somebody's losing their mind over that right now. Yeah, but um, yeah, you could you could get drums for just about nothing. I think I bought a late '30s um, late '30s Ludwig and Ludwig. Uh, that was just a rack tom, a floor tom, and a bass drum. And I think those were called Imperial Lugs at the time. I, I, I'm not really sure. But uh, 24, 13, 16, and I bought it for 60 bucks, $65. Oh That's what the price tag said on it. And and it had a Radio King with it. Oh, geez. So, you know, and I just, um, I, I, I worked for a family. Uh, when I was in college, I was out in the middle of nowhere in a, a town called Searcy, Arkansas. And, um, my boss, um, told me, he was like, Hey, I don't have anything for you to do this weekend. I think I was there for the summer session and I was trying to get more hours and he goes, I, there's nobody in town. I can't pay you to come work for me. Why don't you clean out the family warehouse? And I'm like, yeah, cool. So I go down and he said, I'll pay five bucks an hour instead of the three bucks an hour I'm paying. You. So I cleaned out the warehouse for a couple of days. The last night it's Sunday night, <clears throat> I opened the last door to a room that was probably 10 by 10 and when I opened the door, it hung on something. And I heard, well, let me see if I can do it. I heard this sound. See if you can pick this up. Oh, Did yeah. Did you get that? Yeah. And I went, holy crap, there's a snare drum in there. So I get in there and stacked to the ceiling are old <laughs> vintage drums. And a lot of them were just really crappy, like conrads and apollos and you know all this stuff but hidden in there there was slingerland uh my my 250s gretsch kits were in there um there was wow. wfl there was uh there was ludwig there was a ton of stuff and so i went back the next day and talked to my boss and i said don't pay me because i mean i i i had a pretty big bill i was going to give to him for cleaning out this house for three or four or this this warehouse for three or four days and I said, don't pay me. Just let me take whatever I want. And he goes, this sounds like a horrible idea. Let's go check it out. And I mean, there were there were chairs that were stacked six, seven inches high in symbols. And oh, wow. um, just, you know, over the over a period of 40 years, this stuff had just stacked up in there. And this is 1991, 1990, 91. So there was stuff going back really to the late 40s and um, some some stuff way earlier. In fact, I, I had a. Oh, this is my biggest regret. And this is my my big geek out. I had a 30s, and someone told me it was called a 30s uh, silver anniversary Ludwig uh, that was uh, chrome over brass with die cast hoops with direct drilled lugs. So there was no swivel nut. You just would screw right into the, the lug itself. And um, I, I somebody, I think Harry Kangan, you somebody told me years ago, he's like, yeah, that drum's probably worth about thirty six hundred bucks. I gave it away. Oh, I man. gave it I gave it to Mark Shulman, of all people. And um, and I, I talked to Mark a couple of years ago and I go and Mark is pink strummer and one of the greatest people and a tremendous player. 
And uh, I said, do you still have that? And he goes, oh, I don't remember. I was like, you, you suck. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, things like that. I've got a, I've got a pair of, uh, of um, student model Gretsch kits, single tension bass drums, and uh, they're Duco. They're the ugliest. They're the ugliest finishes you've ever seen. One is uh, ivory and green. And then the other is cameo coral with a band of sleet gray. And um, I was at a car show a couple of years ago and a guy had a 56, I think it was a 56 Oldsmobile that had the exact same finish on it. Same year, same finish. And I told the guy, because I, I love old cars. And I said, are you interested in selling your car? Like I had the money. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, no, I'm really not. And I said, well, I have a drum set that matches this. And he instantly turned around and said, are you interested in selling your drum kit? Yeah. And I went, no. <laughs> and that's the thing is this, this one bass drum. Uh, this single tension um, coral and gray bass drum may be one of the best sounding bass drums I've ever recorded with. And it's single tension, super thin shell, round badge. Um, it's just really cool. And I've had I've had people that wanted to to buy it. I had the the tech from the Raconteurs calling me wanting to get that for Patrick because Patrick has has that drum set, but with a 22. And I was like, I'm, not, I'm really not interested in selling it. And um, I, t I talked to Paul Cooper at Gretsch about it years and years ago. And I said, you know, Paul, I've got this, you know, I've got this drum. And he goes, well, here's the thing. We never made a 24. <laughs> and I went, what? And he goes, so probably somebody in the factory made it for their kid or made it for a school or a church or something. He goes, yeah, hang on to it. It probably isn't worth anything, but hang on to it. It's, you know, it's a cool drum. But I've got a bunch of old snare drums I, I, that I just, that I love. I've got uh, uh, Ludwig Pioneers, you know, just, it's a cheap six lug drum and they just record really well. Um, I've got uh, a couple of 58, uh, 1958 drums. One is, uh, um, one's a WFL and the other is, uh, is a Leedy. And I, I just, I have a thing for Leedy and WFL. Those are kind of my, my addictions right now. Now, are um, these, are these drums, are they, are they case Queens or do you, do you get them out and play them? No, I play everything. <laughs> it's meant to be played. It's absolutely meant to be played. And there are some people, the floor, Tom, you were mentioning before, there are people that are really upset that I take that out and play it. And, uh, well, I, hell man, if I had it, I would, I would definitely oh, be playing, yeah. you know, it's got I, mojo. I, I might, it's, I might crazy. wear it around as a helmet. I, <laughs> Well, that and I'll, and I'll tell you about that. I, I had the really, really good fortune of uh, in the early 90s, well, mid 90s, working with uh, um, working with Jeff Ockeltree. And um, Jeff taught me, I mean, so much stuff. And Jeff's Jeff's insane. He's just one of the, he's just a really great person. And in fact, when my wife and I bought our first house in Nashville, Jeff did our floors. He came over and did the floors while we were at work, and he's just such a cool guy. And he and I got to work on a TV show uh, called At the Ryman with Ricky Skaggs, and um, that was like all my first tech stuff was was working as his second, and um, you know getting to work with you know, Glenn Campbell, which was the biggest thrill. Um, getting to work with um, uh, Elvis Costello and Brian Setzer and people like that. You know, just one night. Now it wasn't like I went on the road with these guys or anything, but. You know, uh, Jeff was key in in getting me into some places and, and getting work and meeting people. And, of course, he's a legendary drum tech, you know, working for John Bonham and working for um, Billy Cobham and Don Perry. And uh, right, I still I think he may still be working with Steve Smith, but he, he also was working with uh, Blue Man Group out in Vegas. 
just an amazing person. And you want to talk about stories. Oh my goodness. This guy's stories are, I can only imagine. I can only his imagine. bottom stories. Ah, oh, his bottom stories are great. At one point he, uh, refurbed an old Gretsch wooden drum and brought it in. And, and they were at the Hyatt house in, in LA and, walked up to John and said, Hey John, I just, I wanted to give you this. And, uh, this is something that I, that I rebuilt and I cleaned it up, redid the edges. And John looked at it and goes, Oh man, that's really great. And they're on like the fifth floor and he throws it out the window and looks at Jeff and goes, I don't play wooden drums. So that was kind of, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, you know, and you just, you just, you know, and I, I wish I'd been under the window to catch that drum. Cause I'm sure it was perfect, but, yeah. um, we got to about 1999 and we were in, uh, either LA or Orlando for, uh, for PASIC. And Jeff comes over to the, to the Mapex with, I was, I was working at Mapex at the time and he comes over and goes, you need to come up to the, to the room. I go, okay. So after the show, I go up to the room and he's being real weird. And I said, what's going on? He goes, ah, I brought you something. And I go, okay. And there's this ratty box. I mean, I don't know how this box got even made it up the elevator. And he goes, uh, I want you to have this. So I open up the box and it's this green sparkle floor tongue. And I go, cool, because I, I love I love orphan drums. That's a lot of what I've got is orphan drums. And I go, well, tell me the story about this. He goes, oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the bottom floor, Tom. And I go, what? And he goes, that's a bottom floor, Tom. And I said, you're kidding me. And he goes, nope. He goes, this is the bottom floor, Tom. I want you to have it. Evidently, when they had done um, Led Zeppelin IV, and I'm, I'm guessing Led Zeppelin IV because the date on it is 1971, um, he said that uh, they sent Bonham this big kit. It was like two twenty sixes, you know, two thirteens, two sixteens, two eighteens. Yeah, this and, is a legendary story. This is and, legendary in Led Zeppelin <laughs> lore. Yeah, and um, and I said, well, what's the deal with this one? He goes, well, this one's yours. And I went, oh, okay. So evidently. Um, and, and again, I, I don't have anything, but I do have a, a Japanese magazine that did a, did a feature on this kit and, um, when it was all still in one piece and I looked at it and the dates match up the, um, there were no serial numbers on it, but there was a, uh, on the, on the tag on the outside, on the badge, there was a punch that they put on it. And from what I've been told, and I don't even know that this is, this is accurate, but from what I'm told, uh, that punch was to mark that it, it was an artist drum and it wasn't to be sold. I, I don't know how, how that actually pans out, but, um, anyway, um, evidently Steve Smith had a large portion of this multiple Tom drum set. And then Jimmy page has the remainder. And then I've got the 16. And even if it's not true, it's a really great story. It's really yeah. cool to have this drum. And, um, but I've had this thing for, you know, close to 20 years now. And, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> anybody that, that has ever bought and sold vintage drums knows that singles are really not worth much. And unless you've got the proper provenance for it you know I, I don't know that this is worth a ton but it was such a cool story and it meant a lot to me because i love jeff he's just just one of the best guys and it was the story that was told to him so yeah. you know i i kind of get to pass along his story well you know i i, I said that it's you know kind of legendary in led zeppelin lore you know the the story that that i've always heard you know my whole life is you know ludwig sent this big hue humongous kit to to bonham and when they started recording, you know, when they were in pre-production, he set all of it up and he was thundering <laughs> away as, as Bonham did, you know, 
um, just thundering away on this big double bass drum set, you know, all these toms and everything. And, you know, he went to go have tea or, or a beer or whatever that afternoon and Paige took half the drum set away. He was like, oh, yeah. heck no, we, we're not doing that. I'm not miking up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, all that stuff. And and hid half of the drums from Bonham said, you know, you, you can do it with one rack and two floors like you always have, buddy. Uh, yeah. You know, so th- that's the story that that I always caught as a as a Zeppelin fan, which I think is just incredibly amazing. And if it's true, I'm sure it's worth quite a bit of money. But, you know, just to say, hey, I've got a drum here that belonged to Bonham. That's yeah. that's pretty huge for any rock guy. No, it's it's you know, it's it's cool. It's a it's a cool story to have. And I'm I'm sure there will be reviews, you know, down the line and somebody online, you know, bad mouthing us for this but you know it's um it's a cool thing man it's it's fun and i just i've always loved drums and it doesn't matter where they come from you know i think it's cool that it was connected to to him in some way uh, because i am a big bottom fan and i i think um you know any rock drummer you know that says they're not a bottom fan is absolutely lying so oh, yeah, you know that well they they may not like his playing but they're emulating it <laughs> every time oh, they yeah. sit down, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, take a look at Picaro and, you know, Picaro, you know, taking, uh, Rosanna and it's, um, it's home at last and full in the rain, right. You know, for somebody like that, that had such an unbelievable amount of talent to say, I, I stole it from him and Bernard Purdy. You know, I think, right. I think that's great. And I think that's, that's where drummers really do kind of shine is there, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of loyalty among our community. And where did you learn that? Oh, I learned it here. You know, I learned it from this guy. And, um, you know, being out with Greg Bessonette, seeing him do uh, these weird Swiss triplets that I, I still can't do. I, I fake them, kind of like my brush playing, but I, um, I fake them. But, you know, people will go, oh, Greg's amazing. Well, if Greg hears that, he'll go, oh, no, no, no. I studied with, um, I studied with uh, Tony Williams for a while, and that's, that's a Tony Williams thing. Right. And, you know, this is, um, um, you know, this is an Earl Palmer thing and this is a, this is a Hal Blaine thing. And, you know, it's given people the proper credit. And I, I hope that doesn't disappear, giving people the proper credit. I really do. I think, um, you know, there, there are a couple of people within the drum community that have, that have kind of claimed certain things that I think everybody knows aren't true. And um, I, I think that that proper credit is worth, worth its weight in gold. It, well, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, I mean, me as a player, which, you know, this isn't about me, obviously, but a, as a player, I have ripped off every dude I've ever seen play the drums. Oh, yeah. You me know, too. I mean, I, it, you know, all the way from the huge, huge rock star on, you know, stadium tours down to, you know, the guy playing at the local pub on, you know, Thursday night, open mic night or whatever. Every time I see a drummer playing, I'm ripping something off from that guy just because, sure. you know, it, it's what makes us better as players. And I think, it's, oh, yeah, you know, I think it's incredible that that we do that uh, as a drum community. And, you know, this this show is no exception to the rule. I mean, we have been just absolutely uh, embraced by the drum community. So so thank you, everybody out there listening today for for embracing us and and. Um, you know, enjoying, I guess, what we're doing here on the drum shuffle. Um, I'll switch gears just a little bit, Josh. Um, so 
you now are at Natal Drums. Um, I know you've worked for quite a few different gear companies. And, you know, a, a few episodes back, we had on our good friend Brian LaRue from Dream Symbols. Oh, the worst person on the planet. I, <laughs> I love Brian. I was so happy to hear that one. And um, I, I got to brag on what a great guy Brian is. And there, there is not a more deserving person to have been uh, to been on your first show. He's, he's just one of the best people. Yeah, he really is. And I mean, you know, he and I go way, way back. And of course, I'm a I'm a dream artist and, and he takes really good care of me and answers all my stupid questions, you know, and and never gets frustrated with me when I'm saying, well, you know, what's the difference between this and that? But um, we definitely wanted to have him on as our first guest just because he, he's such a great guy. Um, but, you know, I asked him the question, how did you get into working for gear companies? Now, um, you know, you can you can tell us all the companies you've worked for or, or if you don't want to go through all that, you don't have to, certainly. But, you know, his answer was, well, I kind of just fell into it. You know, it wasn't like yeah. I, I searched out going to work for a, a manufacturer, you know, for somebody that makes the end product. So tell us how you got into the gear side of the equation. Um, I, uh, I came to town, I came to Nashville, um, and uh, that was at 92. I just gotten married. And uh, my wife, we were in Atlanta, and my wife just went, let's go to Nashville. I went, okay, sure. That sounds good. So we, I remember telling my folks, we're moving to Nashville. And my father going, Oh, really? When are you going? And this was like on a Thursday night. And I said, Oh, Saturday. And so that, <laughs> you know, that was just kind of how I had always done things. So, um, we moved to Nashville and I worked, um, I worked in a, uh, in a knife shop <laughs> for, uh, for about six months and just hated it. At the same time, I'm trying to find gigs. And I ended up getting a gig with a band called High Water that just was a great swamp boogie band. And, and, it, you know, it let me rip off Richie Hayward as much as possible, you know, playing drums and, and vocally. And it was great. And, uh, but I, I was really struggling. And, um, I, I was in the knife shop and, a guy came in that I had teched for in college, um, band had come to my college and I'd always get the call. Hey, can you, can you come help these guys? They need somebody that can, you know, that can tune, that can do this, that can do that, can redo edges, whatever it was. And, um, and I, honestly, I'm so sorry. I cannot remember the guy's name. Um, but he had me, um, and I'm racking my brain to remember his name. Um, but he came in and, and he recognized me. And I said, yeah, how are you? And he goes, what are you doing here? And we talked a little bit. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm playing um, I'm playing uh, this, this brand of drums. And it's a drum company that's not around anymore. And I said, where are they located? And he said, oh, they're, they're local here. And I had, I had contacted Pearl. And uh, I didn't want to go in and work in the warehouse initially. I wanted to go in. You know, I, I certainly didn't mind starting at the bottom. Um you know, with, uh, customer service and things like that. But I, I didn't really want to go into the warehouse and have to wait another two years before I, you know, met somebody that worked in the offices. And, uh, because I, I really did want to be involved in selling drums and at some point designing and whatever else. But this guy connected me with a guy that ran this drum company. And, um, he said, look, I'm, I'm really small. I'm not really hiring anybody, but Gibson is distributing Mapex drums. I said okay so i called gibson and within a couple of weeks i i'd gotten the job and uh i had a strong sales background um just in retail and and um you know from the time i was about 14 
And I think they were really impressed that I had held a, you know, a couple of jobs for a period of time. So I ended up going to work for Mapex's kind of customer service and sales. And then we started doing the uh, U.S. Maple at Mapex. And um, that was a custom line that not a lot of people remember. Uh, it kind of came and went pretty quickly because in that time, Mapex, uh, it was just a distribution deal. So Gibson didn't own Mapex. Uh, Gibson bought Slingerland. Which of course, being a you know a bit of a vintage junkie, we were all really excited that we got Slingerland. So then we started making the U.S. Maple stuff. So I worked for Mapex and Slingerland within a span of about four years, and through that I ended up getting to meet and uh, work with Terry Bozio and Matt Sorum and uh, Bernard Purdy. Which, if you want stories, I have I have <laughs> catalogs of stories about Bernard Purdy. But um, you know, working for Slingerland and uh, right after that, Mapex um, decided to do its own thing in the States. Uh, the the owner, the company is called KHS that owns Mapex, and uh, they own a lot of other different companies as well. Hercules stands and and um, I think Walden Guitars and um, anyway, uh, Sonar, actually, Sonar and Honer and d- different things now. And um, so I, I left and went to work for them, uh, Mapex USA. Stayed there for about six years, and in that time, we ended up doing the Black Panther. Uh, we ended up doing, um, I think, the Saturn. We redeveloped the Saturn. It was a it was a weird line that nobody paid any attention to. We brought it back and made it a better shell. There was the Orion series, which was the high end, and it ended up it ended up going away because the Saturn was so good. So I ended up staying there for six years and was um, I did artist relations, also uh, product management, product development, and was national sales manager for quite a while there, um, which was great. Uh, I really learned a lot about how to build a drum. Uh, I had learned a lot from two guys that I worked with at Slingerland, um, Sam Bacco and uh, Pat Foley. Uh, I learned a ton from what, looking over those guys' shoulders, and, and that was amazing. But um, Mapex was was a really good learning experience for me <clears throat> as far as production and things like that. But then I left and went to Diderio for 10 years. And I was a um, Southern Regional Sales Manager, but I was also the product specialist for Evans Drumheads. Um, that ended way too quick, unfortunately, after 10 years, um, as, as companies will do. And, of course, as... Um, as they brought more and more people in to handle accounts from inside and not have an old school rep on the road, um, that, that ended. And, um, I ended up going to work for, uh, for Armadillo and, um, work for D drum for about 20 months, really good people. Um, really not my thing though. Uh, they, they were making some good drums. I tried to come in and make, um, as the sizes on bass drums started going back to 14 inches deep, um, I really started making a push on that because we're seeing things like CNC and Craviato and, and, and even some of the big production guys going back to 14 inch deep bass drums. I tried to do that with D drum. And honestly, I think that's where my nerve failed me. Um, if I had just been in it for the money, um, the money aspect of it, and we wanted to sell a bunch of stuff, I think keeping it at the really deep bass drums and, you know, that, that line is really kind of a, a seen as a heavy metal line which is a shame because there's some there's some good stuff in there and there's some good players that aren't just metal players that that play that play d drum sure but um after being there for about 20 months um we were in florida and and uh i'm not uh it wasn't a great place for my family and my goal in life is just to take care of them and if if all this went away and i and there were no drums and i was off selling pillowcases or whatever i'd do it 
you know, I'd happily do it for my family. And they were really unhappy down there. And I was too. Um, I was, I was playing quite a bit with my nephew, a guy named Colt Clark. That's an amazing musician, great singer. We recorded a ton of albums. Um, I had played with another girl or a girl there by the name of Rebecca Pulley um, for about five years. And that was great. And she was a lot of fun to play with in a, in a town where it's mainly metal to go out and play kind of this acid folk and, and to play straight up rock was a lot of fun. And so I got to play for a little bit there, but, um, I got a call from Craig Glover, who I work for um, at Marshall, and uh, Marshall Amplification owns Natal Drums. And there's a there's a beautiful story about how that the, the whole thing happened. But Craig called me and said, "Look, when we started Natal Drums in 2010, and you were the guy we wanted to get." And um, and he says that now, so who knows? Who knows if it's really if it's really real or not? But he said we you know, you were the guy that we wanted to get. Um, and, and we just didn't act on it or they, they didn't call or whatever it was. Um, would you like to come work for Natal and help us kind of revive it in the States? Because I think it got a false start um, in about 2010 and at the 2011 NAM show, they were, uh, they were awarded, I think best new drums at NAM, which is amazing for a company just kind of come out of nowhere uh, in a lot of people's minds. Sure. And, um, but the thing is Natal had been around since 1965 and uh, if you were British, you knew all about Natal. If you were American, you didn't know anything about it. And that's kind of the battle that I fight now is is telling people the story and letting them know that these are some amazing drums and, you know, and the, the whole, you know, the, the lineage of what Natal is. But um, going back to your original question, that's how I got in. I just got in and started working through the system. And that's 25 years. Well, and, and you've done very well for yourself, you know, and, and, uh, you probably don't remember this, but our paths crossed years ago, um, in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, at a, at a little shop called Don Wilson music. I, you were, Please don't tell me we have a baby. No, 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 we, no, okay, nothing, nothing like that. Now I feel dirty, Josh. <laughs> Gosh, man, this is why you can't have nice things. Right, um, exactly right. <laughs> um, we, you know, it was just a, Hey, how you doing? You were calling on them with Evans drumheads. you know? Oh, and, mercy. Yeah. So that was, gosh, I'm 15 years ago. Yeah. I, I don't know. It has I mean, to it's, be. it's been a long time. Um, you know, and it's really cool, the story of Natal. Um, and, you know, I, I'm very happy to announce here, this is the first time this has been said publicly, um, but I am becoming a Natal artist very soon. Absolutely. My, yeah. uh, my kit has been ordered. It is being produced now. So I'm really looking forward to, to getting my hands on that. It's completely blown away by the cafe racer. And uh, I, I certainly want you to tell everybody about that. But yeah, um, Natal drums have been around, Natal percussion anyway, has been around for a really long time. Yeah. And when you tell people exactly where they've heard it, everybody's going to have it playing in their head. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of the company? Well, uh, there was a guy by the name of Alan Sharp. And um, in the 50s, Alan was a conga player um, in in London. And he had uh, congas. And I would love to find out what he actually had. I mean, at that 50s, that's got to be like gone bops or something like that. It's got to be. And, um, you know, because they were the real deal. They weren't like the, you know, the Ludwigs or the Slingerlands that were just long cylindrical toms with, right. you know, with plastic heads on them. But um, <clears throat> Alan could not get congas to stay in tune. 
And so he decided to just do it on his own. And so he built some fiberglass molds and he, he started building congas and um, they sounded great. They were super loud. Um, and within a few years, he had gotten a really good reputation. So he decided to, to basically make his own company. And Natal, the name um, is really interesting because people go, oh, it's Christmas. I mean, well, it's yes, it is, but it's not. It's Natalie and Al. That was his wife's name and his name put together. So it was kind of a, a Sabian sort of thing. And um, he, um, he really started making all these all these fiberglass molds, which interestingly enough, we have our own um, proprietary factory in Thailand that makes our all of our percussion. And we use those original molds for the classic series. Oh, really? And still, so, still using oh, yeah. those same molds? Wow. Absolutely. Okay. And his first indoor C was John Bonham. It all goes back to Bonham. And um, if you listen to the middle eight on Whole Lot of Love, it's all Natal. Um, other bands, uh, the stones, if you listen to all of sympathy for the devil or there, I don't, I don't think there are any drums on that track. I think it is all percussion and it's all Natal. Um, all of the, um, um, all of the Bob Marley and the whaler stuff is all Natal, you know, so the stuff, stuff had made it, had made it over, you know, had made it across the ocean at that point. Um, if you listen or if you look at the the cover of um, Deep Purple's Live in Japan, there's a set of Natal, Con- uh, Natal Congas on, on the cover that Ian Gillian plays. Um, you know, all of the for me, growing up in the 80s, it was really cool to see, you know, a lot of the British bands playing Natal. And we own the stage at Live Aid. And uh, so you saw like Nick Kershaw, Kate Bush, um, Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, all of these guys. Uh, power station even all these guys had natal percussion and uh, my favorite story though i mean it, it should be the bottom thing i realized by law that should be my favorite story <laughs> oh we but, won't hold it against you go ahead yeah thank you but my favorite thing is that um the loudest thing on the bowie track and see this goes all the way back to 1976 when i'm watching 2020 um the loudest thing on the man who sold the world is the guiro it's a natal guiro and we still have the mold for the entire, we don't make them, but we still have the mold. And especially after, after Bowie passed, my, my only thought was we've got to do a man who sold the world, you know, a man who sold the world, world Guiro. And we've got to, you know, we've got to do that for cancer research. You know, we got it's something, we got to do something. Cause you know, I think whether you, you know, admit to loving Bowie or not, we owe a lot to David Bowie and modern music. Oh, sure. And, um, but I absolutely, you know, love the fact that we were, we were involved that early. Well, Jim Marshall, um, who is the founder of Marshall amplification. Um, Jim was never a guitarist. Uh, that's what a lot of people don't know is okay. Jim never touched the guitar. Okay. Let's stop right there because, okay. because everybody that's listening to the show this week. Okay. They all just almost drove in the ditch. Okay. Right. So, so I, I want to make sure all of our listeners are okay. That no, nobody got hurt <laughs> yeah. in their car crash because Jim Marshall, the founder of Marshall amplification was not a guitarist this is so lost on people. Jim, right. Jim was what? An assassin for the government. No, <laughs> um, no, Jim, Jim was a drummer. Um, Jim was a drummer and uh, a singer and a dancer. And 
Paul Marshall, who, um, who I got to work with for a few years, uh, is Jim's son, uh, just one of my favorite people, such a good guy. Um, when my wife went to, went to England with me, I think my first trip over, Paul made sure to take she and I out to dinner and he just wanted to get to know us and hang out. It was great. We had so much fun, but he told me this that night. He said that the first amp that his dad had built was basically a seat that he would sit on with a microphone so he could play drums and sing at the same time. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, uh, oh, it's great. And so, you know, he had, he and his brother, Terry had a shop called T and J Marshall and it was in London and the two, what they called the Saturday boys, uh, the two guys that, you know, kids that work for him on Saturdays, um, they were kids that took lessons from him. And without those two kids, he never would have met, anybody from the who he never, he never would have met Townsend. He never would have met Clapton and he never would have met Jimi Hendrix because the two kids that work for him were Mitch Mitchell and Keith Moon. Wow. And so, yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's such a cool story. And so, um, Jim always wanted a drum company and before he passed in, I think 2015, um, I'm sorry, 2012, um, he wanted a drum company and really wanted to have um, his fingers in that in the whole drum industry. And so he called up Alan Sharp. He bought the name and they started developing all of the the, the sun lug and started developing all the hardware and the pedals and and snare drums, everything. They started developing from scratch. And our, um, you know, our crew in the UK really started all that stuff. And uh, they, you know, they developed a lug that was just a, a pretty heavy die cast lug, which when you get, you know, 12 of those on a 12 inch Tom or, you know, 16 of those on an, an on a 16 inch Tom, it slows down the vibration of the shell and it just gives it a, a much warmer, resonant, more resonant sound, slower resonance. And so you get this really rich sound. Um, and, you know, there, there have been a couple of there have been a couple of stores that uh, a lot of stores that have said, hey, I don't want to carry another drum line. And, you know, they just they think, well, it's another drum line out of Taiwan. Well, it's all designed in the UK um, and some in the US. Um, and, um, you know, anybody who sat behind one of these kits loves it. I wish I could name some names, but I will tell you it's killing me that I can't. But um, at the British drum show in um, UK drum show, I'm sorry, in September of 2017, um, we were there in Manchester and uh, it was such a cool, cool place to be because this is where the bombing had happened just a few months earlier. And uh, there was such a great spirit about everybody there. The, the you know, the British um, British resolve is, is a real thing as such a, such a real thing. And, and the people are just so great. And I'm, I'm so fortunate. I get to go over once or twice a year and to do these shows. And um, the, the guys that were coming up, they were just guys off the street. They were just going, man, I love these drums. I have a this, I have a that, I have an Originals Maple, I have an Originals Walnut. One guy in particular that came up, um, we had a cafe racer. And he sat down behind it and played it. <clears throat> and he said, um, he said, what is this? And I'm in awe because of who this guy is. And uh, I'll just say a British drummer that, that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and we, we uh, probably shouldn't blow up his endorsement. No, now. oh, it's killing me. Um, but he said, this is amazing. And I said, yeah, and it's affordable. And he goes, what do you mean? And I told him pricing on it. And he said, that's incredible. He's He plays another drum line. And um, and he's very happy there. He's been there a long time. But he said, this is really cool. The other, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm a big Smiths fan. And um, so 
by proxy, I'm a Johnny Marr fan. Well, Jack, who's Johnny Marr's drummer, came over and sat down behind this cafe racer and he starts playing and he goes, I just ordered one of these. <laughs> and and I go, oh, that's great. And he's, he's one of our endorsees, but he goes, yeah, I just ordered this, this walnut kit. And George, who's our George Frederick, who's our who's a legend, um, George Frederick, who's our relations director, walked over and said, "No, Jack, you you order a walnut. This is a tulip kit." And there was such disappointment on his face because he just <laughs> loved this kit, and it's super affordable, and it was designed to be a really good working tool for the working drummer. I don't, I don't ever want to come up. I mean, it's it's great to have a kit that you're that you're proud of and to to put in the house, and everybody goes, "Ooh, that's really great." I think I, I'd be an idiot to say I, I wouldn't love to have a kit like that. And to me, the the be all end all kit is the black four piece kit that Shelly Mann is playing on in that black and white picture where he's wearing a black suit, black tie, black kit, and he's and he's smoking a cigarette. And he's just playing. It's the greatest drum picture of all time, I think. And to me, that would be the kit with this piano black, you know, just gorgeous. I'm never going to try to develop that. I really want the right tool. I'm a bit of a gearhead. I love working on cars and I, I love building things. And, and um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do around my place. My son, in fact, right now you may hear something in the background. My son's working as a blacksmith. And, um, and he's building stuff outside. So you may, may hear clanging and things like that. I just enjoy building stuff, but I enjoy building stuff that's going to be used the right way. And it's something that people can count on, but it's also something that people can afford. I know what it's like not to be able to afford good gear. And, you know, fortunately I fell into great gear because nobody wanted it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a art star two, you know, in, in 1985, it was a, you know, it was a WFL from 1958 that most of the paint had fallen off of, but it sounded great. And right. it, it and still to this day it, it serves me well, and that's what I want to see Natal do. I want people to be able to afford it. We make some really expensive stuff. Our our walnut kits are expensive. Uh, they're not that bad, but they're more expensive than say the maple. They're more expensive than the Cafe Racer, which is a tulip wood drum shell. I I just want the right thing for people. I want I want people to really be into into what we're doing, and it and it almost goes back to that. I I love the band X. And nobody else knew about them. And I don't want anybody else, you know, I don't want anybody to know about X. I wanted to keep it to myself. And I had a kid tell me that a few, uh, a few months ago, he said, I've got a, I've got a Birch Natal kit. And he goes, I love this so much. I almost don't want to tell anybody because I don't want anyone else to have a Natal kit, but me. Yeah. And and I said, no, no, <laughs> you need to tell everybody. Yeah, for please, sure. Please. Cause it's a, it's a good drum set and it's a very affordable drum set. Well, and, you know, here's the thing for me, and, uh, you know, I'm a gearhead as well, you know, and and my first kit was a Pearl Export in the, you know, mid to late 80s. Um, That that kit is still floating around. It's in my buddy's studio stacked up in the corner, you know. Oh, it's great. Yeah, so so I've still got it. I've got vintage Ludwig stuff. Um, I played DW for a lot of years. You know, I had a great drum workshop kit. And, and then I really kind of went back to modern Ludwig. I played some Ludwig stuff for a long time and I was never, I was never an artist with any of these companies, you know, and, um, I've got a really good friend up in Maryland, uh, by the name of Kevin Smee, who, um, I, I, he had a little shop, uh, that, you know, he was making snare drums called Bowie custom drum. Um, and I had him make a couple of snare drums for me and I fell in love and, you know, had him build me a kit and, 
Um, you know, I still play that kit every day and it's, cool. you know, it's, it's great to have the custom thing, but for me with my relationship with Natal, it's really more about, you know, if, if I'm, you know, three States away and, and something untoward happens to my kit, I break a lug or something, having the support of a, of a national company was really important to me. Sure. Um, but when I sat down at the Natal kits and, and was trying them out, you know, I kept going to the walnut, to the walnut. Yeah. And when I talked to you, you said, well, you know, absolutely you can get a walnut kit. It's going to cost you a little bit more. And that's when you said you really ought to look at the cafe racer. And yeah, yeah, that was, that was a game changer for me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that's kind of the, the really hot item with Natal right now. And it's so, it's so different than everybody else's wood composition. Tell us. Well, you know, the, the whole thing with, um, with the cafe racer is it's a hundred percent tulip wood shell and, um, the tulip wood, uh, it's tulip poplar, but it's not poplar like you think of as filler wood and you know i mean the, the older ludwig shells are maple and poplar and you know of course scratch is maple and gum and you know it was just kind of a filler wood um and so i didn't want to go with straight poplar we use straight poplar on uh, on some of our entry level product um but the tulip is a little harder um not quite as hard as maple um it just has this really gorgeous it's super strong by the way there's there, it really is not cutting corners by using this if anything we kind of landed on something that has put us on the map with a lot of especially indie players guys who are looking for something a little bit different and want a renewable source for wood but uh, the tulip is um not quite as aggressive as maple Uh, it's got a really kind of rich buttery tone to it really nice wide tuning range it really likes to be tuned kind of low to mid that's where i'm finding what i like in it and um super resonant uh, it worked with the lug really well which i was surprised i thought being a little bit softer than maple it might not work as well but it worked even better and um we got a beautiful buttery tone out of it um i've got several guys who are playing on cafe racer right now uh the first one is jason smay who plays with jd mcpherson monster um, player monster oh player. my goodness it stupid left hand it just i get so mad i had lunch with him a couple weeks ago and 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 just told him i was like i i hate you i just hate <laughs> you. this guy's left hand for anybody that hasn't that hasn't seen jason smay play the band is jd mcpherson um there are three albums that are out jason's played on the last two uh he played on um this last album is called Un- um undivided heart and soul it's a it's a 50s sounding band. Jason's kind of a 40s drummer, 40s swing drummer playing in a 50s rock band. It's the best way to describe it. Um, best left hand I've ever seen. And it's not forced. It's just completely natural. Best shuffle player I've ever seen. Traditional angles and snare drum away. And that stupid snare drum has gotten me in so much trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, one of my one of my sales directors and I were doing some trainings out for a group of stores um, in the, toward the middle middle of the end of 2017. This album had just come out, and I had a video of it. Well, Jason and JD were kind enough to put the Natal Cafe Racer on the um, on the video for Lucky Penny. And Lucky Penny is this the the first release off of the album, and um, 
people kept coming back going, oh man, that snare drum's amazing. That snare drum's amazing. Well, the snare drum came from a <laughs> a floor tom that came in that had uh, had been dropped, unfortunately. I had to take it apart. And Jason said, can you make me a matching snare drum? And I said, unbelievably, I can. So <laughs> I built him an eight lug with uh, uh, tulip wood with tulip wood reinforcement hoops. And it's the same drum they played on the Conan show in October. And it's just amazing. But yeah, he, he angles his snare drum away from, you know, from him and, and, you know, and plays very traditional like, but he's got, and, and we were talking earlier about this. The guy's got so much power playing traditional grip, but so much control. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's, it's befuddling to me. I mean, you know, I, and I told you jokingly, I said, if you ever see me play in traditional grip, it's because that's the only way I can hold it right now because I have a broken oh, finger yeah. or something. I just don't do it. No, I, I can't either. You know, I tried for a while because, you know, when I really started getting into the police, you know, watching Stuart Copeland, sure. I'm like, how does that guy not break his arm in half when he plays? How is he not going through heads? How, you know, Stuart Copeland was the guy that had the power and, uh, and, and one of my favorite players of all time, but Jason just has the most wicked left hand. It's his shuffle. His shuffle is just, it's just phenomenal. So anyway, but, um, yeah, so the cafe racer, he had, uh, he had the very first one and it's, um, I, I kind of don't like watching the reviews, the British reviews, because they refer to it as Natal's midline. And it's really not, it's just really affordable. It's the same lacquer process or all we do is lacquers. Um, yeah, no, um, no wraps. No, no wraps. So we do a we do a um, an ash kit in the UK, um, but I can't I can't bring that in because of uh, CITES uh, and um, uh, the CITES laws and, uh, and the Lacey Act. There there's certain ash that I can't bring in, and so that was some of it, which was okay with me. I I didn't really want to do a wrap kit anyway, but um, all of the product that we bring into the states that is um, that's uh, Cafe Racer or Originals, which is our higher end, is all lacquer finish. And, um, this has, you know, high sparkle lacquer. Everybody thinks it's a covering. It's not. Um, and it just, it just sounds really good. And it's really affordable. It's a, an extremely affordable drum kit. In fact, um, you know, street price, we won't get into pricing or anything, but street price on a, uh, on a cafe racer is about $300 less than a maple kit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely something for, you know, for folks that are looking to upgrade their gear, you, you can certainly do that without spending, you know, the, the big boy money, um, you know, and, and I think you guys have a very competitive spot um, yeah. with it because they just sound incredible. And, you know, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure I am, but, you know, when, when I kind of did the A-B comparison the the tulip wood the cafe racer seemed like it lived somewhere between the walnut and the maple you know it's it, yeah no you're you're dead on and um you know it it doesn't have the aggression that uh that maple and walnut have you know um maple has excellent projection and um and that's why you know maple and you know when we were kids if somebody had a maple kit man you you were it you had you you had made it right, and um, you know walnut to give uh, to give all the the proper uh, proper respect and and um, and credit um, in ninety nine we when I was at Mapex we did the first production walnut drum kit that had been done since like nineteen twenty eight wow 
And um, and it was just to try it out in the walnut was just and I, and I have to give that to I have to give that to Mapex. And, um, you know, Mapex had earned that for sure. A lot of everybody else started coming out with walnut after that. And but it was Mapex. It was Mapex that started that. Um, our walnut sells really well when, when I can get it. Um, it sells out when I get it in. Um, we had a drum set at the 2018 NAM show. Um, that's a wax cerulean blue walnut just gorgeous it was a beautiful and, kit um, and and you know folks go do a quick youtube search for that because there are videos of the natal booth from that show and that's a gorgeous drum set man and it went instantly i um you know i had i had four or five dealers that wanted it and i had a friend of mine who's a who's an educator out in seattle who i sent a picture to um when i was prepping for the nam show and he goes i'll take it and i go i haven't even told you how much it is and he goes i don't care i'll take it yeah and it it's stunning it's really pretty but yeah that you know but the, the walnut if you play it in a in a wooden room especially if you're recording in a wooden room um or a, or a barn or you know a theater it just saturates the room the walnut has has this gorgeous saturation and, and this penetration that you don't really get out of anything else but the tulip is right there in the middle uh, it's got that real nice warm buttery tone um it's got really good projection not quite as much as the maple not not really quite as much as the walnut it just kind of um it, it's a very vintage sounding drum set uh, it's a little bit drier um almost like the you know the glue between the plies is dried out a little bit more um, it just, um, it, it's a really cool drum set and it's kind of what we're known for right now, which is, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, it, as somebody that, you know, I don't do as much live playing as I once did, you know, it, it, I do way more work in the studio now, um, sessions. I can't wait to get it in because I have a feeling it's just going to mic up and record so well um, you know, that's, that's what everybody's saying. So I'm really looking forward to getting it into, to a studio situation because I think it's going to be that perfect blend of, you know, the darkness of the walnut and, and the, you know, the articulation or the projection of maple. I, I'm, I'm geeked about it. I'll say that. Oh yeah. I, I think you're going to love it. Yeah, for sure. So Josh, uh, one thing that we do with all of our guests, um, and, and before I get to this, we're going to make sure we have you back sometime soon because we could sit here and talk drums and, and we haven't even got into any of your crazy stories. Um, you know, so, so we're going to have to do a part two of the Josh Touchton, um, uh, drum shuffle interview. Okay. Love uh, to. But one of the things that we always do with all of our guests is we say, what one piece of advice can you give to all drummers, all musicians, um, and we've gotten a, a kind of a little bit of everything uh, from our guests when they answer here. But you, Josh, if you were going to sit a drummer down and say, this is my one piece of advice for you to, to get better as a player or to get further in the business, whatever you subject matter you want to speak to, what is that one piece of advice? I would say, um, and, and it's interesting because I, I have a... a a really good friend that's uh, that's here local in Nashville, and a young player, great guy, really good player. And um, when he moved to town, <clears throat> he started you know doing all the things around town and, and playing and stuff. And and it got to the point where I realized uh, just watching him, and, and we ended up talking about this, and 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 he said I I have to stop this, but you know there there 
couple of guys around town that are that are pretty big names and they're doing very well. And uh, we talked and and about this very thing, and I said, you know what? Don't be that guy. Be yourself. You know, have your own thing. And um, I know plenty of guys that uh, that are great at going out and doing the bottom thing. You know, playing just like Bonham and setting up just like him and everything. That's great. But you know what I want to hear? I want to hear you. I don't I don't want to hear that guy. I've heard that guy. I want to see what you can do. And I, I think a great example of that, um, and, and I haven't talked to him in so, so long, but one of my favorite players is Johnny Rabb. And um, Johnny is uh, probably the perfect balance of feel and technique. Of of anybody that I've seen, and and he's a he's a stand up comedian behind the drum set. There's nothing he can't do, and he was always himself. He never tried to be Elvin Jones. He never tried to be John Bonham. He never tried to be, you know, Picaro. He never tried to be any of these guys. He just went out there and said, "This is what I'm going to do," and he did it, and it worked really well for him. And I, I honestly think that he is that perfect balance that you don't see a lot. I know a lot of guys that are tremendous technicians. Um, that when you might go out and do a, a clinic with them, it's amazing, but it goes so far over everybody's heads. Nobody gets it. I, I know you know guys that are such great field players, but if it comes to, you know, play me a double stroke roll, they can't do it. And so to see somebody that is perfectly balanced is amazing. And all that comes from the fact that he is 100% himself. And um, don't try to be, Steve Jordan, much as I would love to play exactly like him, not him, never going to be him. You know, um, Sean Pelton's another one of my absolute heroes. I love watching him play. Uh, Brady Blade is another one of those guys that I look to and just go, Brady could try and probably could pull, pull off playing exactly like his brother, Brian, but he doesn't. He's himself. And it, it's so much more honest. I think a lot of what's missing in music right now is honesty. And to see somebody that is 100% themselves and going out there and playing is amazing. And, you know, Tom Waits is such a great example of somebody who's a hundred percent himself, either hate him or you love him. There's no in between, but it's, it's honest. And so I I think that's what I would say is definitely be yourself, find yourself and and be that. Don't try to be somebody else. And fantastic piece of advice. And, uh, you know, I, I hope everybody gets to hear that. I really do because that's, those are words of wisdom from Josh Touchton right there, ladies and gentlemen. Josh, I know that uh, that we've taken up far too much of your time. Let me thank you again for coming on the drum shuffle and, and sharing your knowledge and stories. I, I think it's been super entertaining. Again, we want to have you back uh, just as soon as your schedule will allow so we can. Anytime, Jamie. I, absolutely. I had a blast. I really appreciate you me, letting me go on and babble for a while. Oh, so that's, man. Uh, this is great <laughs> stuff right here. I mean, this is this is where the magic happens, folks, as they say. <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, but, yeah, we, we definitely want to have you back uh, as soon as your schedule will allow. You bet. Uh, and thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to you real soon, okay? Thanks, man. Best of luck to you, Jamie. Thanks so much. Thank you, Josh. Bye-bye. What a great conversation we got to uh, got to have today with Josh. I uh, really appreciate him coming on the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to ask a huge favor. 
please hit the subscribe button uh, to whatever platform you're using to listen into the show. You are not going to want to miss some of the folks we have scheduled to come on the show as guests coming up here in the next few weeks. I promise you do not want to miss those. So hit the subscribe button. Also, leave us a review or a rating on whatever platform you're using. It helps us tremendously. We really do appreciate it. And as always, continue reaching out to us at the Podcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails. Uh, happy to answer any questions that you have. We love hearing your suggestions for future guests or topics here on the Drum Shuffle. We love hearing from you, so keep those emails coming our way. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. You can always find me over at jamieeds.com. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.